Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt is running for his first full term in office, but who the Republican will face in November is unknown. Rich Finneran is one of two Democratic candidates seeking to take on Schmidt, and the statewide aspirant joins us for the latest edition of Politically Speaking to talk about his platform and his path to victory later this fall. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there. But we also knew that it was important to make sure that that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room and you're getting ready to make a decision and everybody in the room looks like you, you need to stop. And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. We want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent Jason Rosenbaum. And continuing on our unofficial series of interviewing statewide aspirants, we have one of the two Democratic candidates for attorney general. Hi, I'm Rich Finneran. Uh, Rich, thank you so much for joining our show. Um, Before we get into issues, since you are a first-time guest on Politically Speaking, I want to give you a little bit of time to tell us a little bit about yourself, your, your legal background, and why you got interested in the wacky and zany world of Missouri politics in the first place. Well, thank you, Jason. I'm very uh, grateful for the opportunity to speak to you and your listenership today uh, about this race. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I, uh, I uh, am my name is Rich Finneran. I grew up in uh, St. Louis County, uh, and I've been a 15-year resident of University City, just outside of uh, St. Louis City. Um, I went away for college after high school, uh, but I came back uh, to go to law school at Washington University right here in St. Louis, and I uh, spent a couple years in private practice before uh, joining the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Eastern District of Missouri as a federal prosecutor. And that's my main uh, background in legal profession. I spent uh, almost seven years at the U.S. Attorney's Office. And while I was there, I prosecuted uh, the two largest criminal fraud trials in the history of our state. One was a $435 million insurance fraud scam, uh, the National Prearranged Services case. And then the other was a $56 million investment scam, a a Ponzi scheme, run by a Webster Groves gentleman named Martin Sigillito. And I took both those cases to trial over several weeks, uh, obtained convictions on every single count, and helped to recover millions of dollars for victims in those cases and many other cases that I handled in my time as a federal prosecutor. I was there from 2010 until 2017, at which point I left the U.S. Attorney's Office and shortly thereafter... Uh, joined the great St. Louis law firm of Brian Cave, uh, where I was a partner for about a year and a half until uh, the end of uh, last year in October, when I stepped down from the partnership to become of counsel to the firm so that I could pursue this campaign for attorney general full time. And Jason, you asked, uh, you know, what sort of uh, made me decide to leave uh, the world of public service and private practice and uh, decide that I wanted to run for office. And uh, my main motivation there was seeing the behavior of our current attorney general, uh, Eric Schmidt. Uh, so as a, as a federal prosecutor, I was trained and practiced uh, believing that really politics should not have anything to do with the business of law enforcement. And that's uh, something that I feel like our current attorney general has left behind. He's allowed the office to become infected by political considerations. And once I saw that happening, I felt that it was my responsibility to step up 
and bring the experience that I have in public service as a federal prosecutor to that office so we can get politics out of the attorney general's office and get back to serving the people of Missouri. How do you get politics out of a statewide office where it is a partisanly elected office and is often seen as a springboard to other offices? I've heard what you've said before many times, but oftentimes like that principle is very difficult to actually achieve when you have so many outside pressures from both parties coming at you. Yeah, well, and I'm not saying it's an easy thing to do. Um, As a federal prosecutor, there were many cases where uh, the press or politicians or other people might have been interested in the outcomes of the cases that I was handling. But I view it as my oath and my responsibility as a prosecutor not to let those things weigh in my judgment and instead focus on what I could do to protect our community here in St. Louis and across the eastern half of the state. I think a similar thing applies when you're uh, the attorney general. Yes, you have to run on a partisan ticket in order to be elected. But once you're there, your job is not to play politics. It's to represent the people of the state of Missouri. And and for example, uh, even under our prior attorney general, Josh Hawley, there was a policy put in place to try to avoid conflicts of interest so that when there was a campaign donor uh, who was being investigated, for example, that the attorney general would step aside from that case and allow the career professionals to handle it. That's a policy our, our current attorney general has not been following. And so I think there are things we can do to get politics out of the office. That's not what I think Missourians want from their attorney general. They want to know that if there's a situation where their rights are at stake or their family's interests are at stake, they want somebody who's going to fight for them regardless of who they voted for in the last election. And we're going to get to some of the major initiatives that uh, Attorney General Schmidt has undertook later in the show. But I want to ask you, is there anything about the attorney general's office that you would want to change or rearrange or add to if you are attorney general? And the reason I'm asking this is, even though like some of the big picture policy goals are often what gets most of the attention, arguably the biggest job of being attorney general is managing a very, very large office that does a lot of different things. So I want to give you some time to reflect on that point. No, you're right. And I think that a lot of people maybe don't have the clearest understanding, Jason, as you probably do, of what the attorney general actually does. And the way I try to describe it to people is that it's both the state's chief law enforcement officer and the state's top lawyer. And so the the job of the attorney general is to represent the state whenever it is sued, whenever it needs to sue somebody, and then also to handle a lot of the criminal administration across the state when it comes to criminal appeals and things of that nature. So it's a very broad job that has a large range of responsibilities. And when it comes to resources in the office, what I mainly intend to do is to take the man hours and taxpayer dollars that are currently being spent on pursuing these political causes that Eric Schmidt has adopted and reallocate those resources towards their proper purpose, which is uh, protecting the people of Missouri, enforcing the law, recovering money for victims of crimes and frauds, and just generally making sure that we have an attorney general's office that's going to put the people ahead of the politics of the office. So I covered the last time there was major turnover in the attorney general's office between 2008 and 2009. And I'm the reason I'm mentioning that and not necessarily the turnover from Coster to Holly is that was a period of a great economic calamity in Missouri. Right. And a lot of people that were getting out of law school at that point could not find jobs in the private sector. So they often went to the attorney general's office. I think we may be entering a very similar dynamic in the next couple of years. And I wanted to get your 
take on how you're going to potentially recruit some people that may have gone to a law firms where they could make more money and instead convince them that the attorney general's office is right for them? Well, in that case, that's something that I think I can speak to from my own personal experience. You know, when I got out of law school, uh, I was fortunate enough to have a job at a large law firm. Um, but I left that job after just two years and took a major pay cut to do it to pursue something that I thought was more important to me and to my community, which was uh, serving the public. And I think that's the message that I'll be delivering to recent law school graduates or lawyers who are in practice currently who might have an interest in coming to help at the attorney general's office. I also think we have to prioritize diversity in our recruiting at the attorney general's office, something that, again, I think has not been uh, as focused on as it should be under the current administration. When we have a more diverse population of lawyers, we make better decisions because we have more input into the processes that we undertake as attorneys to carry out the law effectively. And so I would place a strong emphasis on that. As you may know, I also have for the past, uh, I guess, 12 years now, I've been uh, teaching uh, mostly on a volunteer basis at my old law school at WashU. And so I'm very uh, tuned in to the academic uh, legal community here in St. Louis and across the state. And I'm confident that I'll be able to work with the law schools here and across the country to recruit the best and the brightest to the uh, Missouri Attorney General's office and uh, get, get out of the business of hiring people who are uh, political friends and get into the business of hiring the best lawyers to do the job. On the subject of diversifying the staff, and this is something that has come up when trying to select non-white judges in Missouri, Let, let's be candid here. There aren't a lot of people of color that graduate from Missouri law schools. I'm not saying that there are none, but the percentage is pretty low. So when they get out of law school and they have a choice between going to the attorney general's office or the U.S. attorney's office or going to a firm, probably they're going to choose the private sector just because they can make more money, notwithstanding what I just said about the economic decline. How are you going to actually develop a plan to you know, again, achieve the principle of diversification of your office and actually accomplish it, given that it's not going to necessarily be easy as snapping your fingers and making it happen. No, that, that's that's correct. That it's not something that you can just change overnight by wishing it so. You have to demonstrate a commitment to promoting diversity as a long-term strategy for the office. And you have to be making outreach to uh, diverse young lawyers who are entering the profession to explain to them not only how they can benefit their community, but how their long-term careers can be uh, advanced as well uh, by having the experience that you get as an assistant attorney general. Though you know, people in that office get an enormous amount of trial experience, uh, firsthand experience managing cases, the sorts of things that uh, really do matter to lawyers as they progress in their careers. And and while you may be right that there are some, just like there are non-diverse students who will prefer to follow the money and uh, go after the big law firm job. I think equally it's true that there are people in all communities who want to serve their community and want to uh, push forward uh, um, progress in our society from the attorney general's office. And that's, uh, that's an appeal that I'll be making to the people we try to recruit. There is a major civil rights moment in our country where people of all races are marching in the street demanding accountability for when a police officer kills a black person unjustly. And the attorney general's office is often seen as uh, the vanguard of criminal justice related policy. And even though they're not legislators, oftentimes they can effectuate and push for policies that end up making a difference. What would you want to do on the, the, the post George Floyd front and what policies would you like to advocate for 
to make sure that our African-American community in Missouri feels like they can have a a tangible and productive relationship with the police and not live in fear of them. Right. Well, and Jason, you're, you're, you're right to say that the attorney general's office does have some power to influence policy in this area, even though it is not a legislator. And so I can't, as the attorney general, I can't change the laws that we have in place regarding these issues. But what I can do is make sure that they're fairly and equitably enforced and that there are not uh, any sorts of uh, political pressures being brought to bear on those issues. And, and one place where I do think there is an opportunity to do that under the existing law is the fact that often right now we see local prosecutors who are being tasked with investigating the very police departments that they work with on a daily basis to try to deliver some accountability in, in incidents of officer misconduct or other kinds of public corruption or uh, misuse of office. And in many cases, that's an uncomfortable position for local prosecutors because uh, they have to worry not only about making sure the police are behaving uh, properly, but making sure that they can work productively with the police to protect their broader communities. And that's where there is an opportunity for the attorney general to step in. The attorney general, in many cases like that, um, can step into the case and uh, with the uh, permission of the local prosecutor can be the prosecutor and investigator for that case so that we're sure that we have a independent person reviewing that. And that's not only important when there has been official misconduct, it's important when there hasn't been, because that's what helps give the public the assurance that justice is being done when it knows that the person who's making the decisions isn't somebody who is making it for any other reason than that it's what the law requires and what um, is just in that particular case. And you've seen that in in uh, Minnesota, where A.G. Ellison uh, stepped into that case, in the George Floyd case, in order to take it off the hands of the local prosecutor and give the public greater confidence that the right decision will be made in that case. And I envision a similar kind of role as being possible for us here in Missouri, where these issues do come up. Uh, we need to make sure justice is done one way or the other. And uh, I'm confident that with my background as a prosecutor, I'll be able to make those tough calls and make sure that everybody's treated fairly in the process so that we do have a justice system that we can be comfortable with and proud of, and we don't have people living in fear of unjust results. It's interesting you mentioned that policy, which is having the attorney general come in and investigate a situation whenever a police officer uses deadly force. That was actually a provision in the Ferguson Commission. I think it was actually one of the first suggestions in the Ferguson Commission. But there was a lot of pushback among local prosecutors to that. Former St. Louis County prosecutor Bob McCullough really, really disliked that idea. Frankly, since uh, Republicans took over the attorney general's office, you really haven't seen either Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner, our St. Louis County Prosecutor Wesley Bell advocate for that. They've basically created divisions within their own departments to investigate potential police misconduct. Do you think that this type of idea can get buy-in from prosecutors that may not be super enthusiastic about it? Well, I think the, the point is that we don't want to have, we're not trying to take away power from local prosecutors. We're not saying that local prosecutors cannot investigate and prosecute a case where they think it's appropriate. What I'm saying is that there may be cases where the prosecutor is conflicted, where the prosecutor cannot deliver a outcome that is going to be trusted by the public on whether it's a positive or a negative outcome in a particular case. And that's where the attorney general can have a role. Taking away the power from local prosecutors, I think, would be a mistake, but making sure that we have another set of eyes from the attorney general's office looking over a case to try to make sure that the just result takes place, that's not something that I think that uh, local prosecutors should be afraid of. Uh, you know, in, in law enforcement, uh, I always said you, you want to welcome scrutiny because it makes sure that you're doing your job correctly 
and that we're getting a, a just result at the end of the case. One of the other duties of the attorney general's office is compiling an annual report on racial profiling throughout the state. Is there anything about that process you would want to change as attorney general? Because the common criticism of that report is it provides some sense of whether racial profiling is going on, although some argue the statistics are are not where they should be. But it doesn't really there's really no like consequences if if a particular department is showing like a really egregious pattern. So I'd, I'd like to get your opinion on that. Right. So you're right. There is there is in place a requirement that the attorney general prepare a report um, uh, each year that analyzes the degree to which uh, racial bias has snuck its way into policing, which is something we need to get out of our criminal justice system. Um, but there's not enough transparency into how those statistics are generated. It's often difficult to interpret the data in a way where you can see where the problems are. And until we as a public can look at those numbers and understand them in a way that allows us to identify where the issues are, we're not going to be very good at coming up with solutions. So the first thing that I would do is make sure we have more transparency in the process of collecting and and producing those statistics so that the public can understand where the problems lie so we can start working to correct them. As far as what, once we have that information, what we can do with it, um, that's where I think it's important for the attorney general to have a collaborative relationship with local prosecutors and local police departments to try to root out these problematic issues. And again, you saw in uh, Minnesota that the Minnesota attorney general's office opened an investigation of the Minneapolis police department, uh, just as here, uh, the U.S. Department of Justice did with the Ferguson police department after the uh, killing of Michael Brown in 2014. And in that uh, situation, uh, you can look at a department's practices and help to find solutions for that department. And I think that departments are starting to understand that they need to uh, examine their own practices, examine their own officers' behaviors to make sure that they're not going to be the next headline news story of one of these terrible incidents that we've seen far too many times, especially over the last several years. And so I think it's about working together with local authorities to make sure that there is accountability behind whatever those statistics are and developing practices and procedures that can eliminate uh, implicit or unconscious or explicit bias in the way that our communities are policed. We'll be right back after this quick break with Democratic Attorney General candidate Rich Finneran. And we're back on Politically Speaking with Democratic Attorney General candidate Rich Finneran. So one of the things that you've been particularly critical of Attorney General Schmidt of is his decision to remain in this lawsuit aiming to upend the Affordable Care Act, which was obviously the signature health care legislation that was signed into law in the early 2010s by President Obama. Just sort of explain why you don't feel Missouri should be a part of that lawsuit. So this is a really critical issue that I want to make sure your listeners really understand, because it's something that I think our attorney general has been flying under the radar on, but it has the potential to have consequences for millions of people, not just here in Missouri, but all across the country. And that is that our attorney general is currently spending your taxpayer dollars to take a lawsuit to the Supreme Court of the United States to have the Affordable Care Act thrown out as being unconstitutional. Now, you may remember that the Supreme Court already upheld the Affordable Care Act once against a a constitutional challenge many years ago, and yet Eric Schmidt is taking uh, his office's resources back to the Supreme Court for a second term. Now, I view the job of the Attorney General of the state of Missouri as protecting the rights of the people of this state. 
And it's very hard to see how a lawsuit that would throw out the Affordable Care Act would protect people in Missouri. If, if Eric Schmidt wins this lawsuit, it means that people in Missouri and across the country will lose guaranteed protections for pre-existing conditions and in their insurance. It means that there will be uh, an end to the guarantee that children under the age of 26 can stay on their parents' plans. It will mean an end to subsidies that help to lower the cost of prescription drugs for seniors. And importantly, in this election, where we are in Missouri voting to expand Medicaid on the August ballot, it would also mean that Medicaid expansion would be thrown out not just here in Missouri, but all across the country. We would basically wind the clock back to before 2010, where we had no guarantee that a person with a pre-existing condition could keep their insurance, where we'd have millions of Americans who might not be able to obtain coverage, and that would raise health care costs for everybody across the country. And I just don't see how that sort of lawsuit does anything to help the people of Missouri. And so I believe it's imperative that we have an attorney general who isn't focused on trying to win political points in the courts and instead is trying to protect the people of this state. And for me, that means getting out of this lawsuit as soon as we can and reversing course that we're working to protect people's health care coverage, not trying to take it away. So here is actually a, a, a rather lengthy clip of Attorney General Schmidt explaining why he's decided to keep the state involved in that particular case. I have uh, always advocated um, for, um, you know, to make health care more uh, available, affordable and portable. I think you look at my record um, taking on insurance companies on autism related issues. Um, and those were the appropriate way to go about advocating for change to make sure as many people were covered. As attorney general now, that was sort of legislative, as attorney general, my job is to enforce the law, and this law is unconstitutional. And so I have a duty to, to, to make that case with a bunch of other attorney generals across the country. But I will say this, um, Congress um, certainly ought to move forward post-haste with making sure that people with pre-existing conditions are protected. I fully support that. And I think there ought to be federal and state-based solutions for that. Uh, I'm committed to that. But if you're, if you know, the question is a matter of law as it relates to the ACA, it's, it's unconstitutional. That's my position. Um, and that's not a, um, that, that is not, that is a widely held position by many people and we'll see how it ultimately plays out, but that shouldn't um, change the fact that we need to make sure that people with pre-existing conditions are covered. There are a lot of protections that, that I believe in and would advocate for. In addition to responding to Attorney General Schmidt, what would you say to people that don't like the ACA that say there are good components in it, but the entire bill is too flawed? In addition to responding to the comment, I want you to respond to that potential argument that you may hear on the other side. Right. Well, this is an argument that we've been having with Eric Schmidt for months, and I'd encourage our listeners to look up the dueling editorials we wrote in the Kansas City Star uh, back in January on this very issue. Um, and frankly, Eric Schmidt's defense of his participation in this lawsuit doesn't add up. What Eric Schmidt says is that this law is unconstitutional, and therefore he's duty-bound to fight it. And there's two, at least two problems with that argument. Number one is that the part that is claimed in the lawsuit to be unconstitutional is the individual mandate, the requirement that people buy insurance or else pay a tax penalty. Congress already zeroed out that tax penalty, and so nobody is currently subject to that individual mandate. So it's an academic argument that he's making. But the second and bigger problem is, just because one part of a law is unconstitutional doesn't mean a court has to throw out the entire thing. So even assuming that this individual mandate is unconstitutional, as Eric Schmidt 
uh, claims it is. That's only one of the two issues in this lawsuit. The other question in the lawsuit is whether the rest of the act should fall because of this allegedly unconstitutional provision. And on that issue, Eric Schmidt is on the wrong side. He could be arguing that notwithstanding the unconstitutionality of the individual mandate, the rest of the law, the provisions that he says he supports, like pre-existing conditions coverage, like keeping your kids on your insurance till you're 26, um, he could try to uphold those provisions. And instead, he's going further. He's saying, since one provision is unconstitutional, the entire thing should be struck down. And that's just not a, uh, a intellectually honest argument because it means that he's trying to tell the voters of Missouri that he supports something that he cannot pass since he is not a legislator, pre-existing conditions coverage, at the same time he's making an argument to have it thrown away, even though he concedes it would be constitutional to keep that provision in place. Um, so I think that also responds, Jason, to your second question. When we have different parts of a law that does not mean, and one of them is problematic, that doesn't mean the entire law has to fall. But that's exactly what Eric Schmidt is arguing we should take place in this case. Another initiative that Attorney General Schmidt has undertaken that's gotten a lot of attention is filing a lawsuit against the Chinese government. Um, this was in response to the COVID-19 situation. And I'm going to just read a quote from him from this press release that came out in April. COVID-19 has done ir irreparable damage to countries across the globe, causing sickness, death, economic disruption, and human suffering. In Missouri, the impact of the virus is very real. Thousands have been infected and have many have died. Families have been separated from dying loved ones. Small businesses are shuttering their doors, and those living paycheck to paycheck are struggling to put food on the table. The Chinese government lied to the world about the danger and contagious nature of COVID-19, silenced whistleblowers, and did little to stop the spread of disease. So that is the reason why Schmidt has filed a lawsuit against the Chinese government. I've read elsewhere that you're not a huge fan of this decision. So I want you to provide uh, your counterpoint of why this was not a good endeavor for Missouri to undertake. Well, let me begin by saying that much of what is, you just read in that quote is true. COVID-19 obviously has been a, a terrible thing for people in this state and across the country. And I also think the Chinese government has questions to answer about why they did not take earlier steps to help to control the spread of the virus and to warn the rest of the world about the risks that uh, that we are now facing and living with every single day. Um, but that's a separate question of whether it's a good investment of taxpayer money to try to sue a foreign government. And every legal expert that you can find who has been asked to opine on this will tell you that even if Eric Schmidt somehow got a judgment against the Chinese government, which is a near impossibility in itself, there is literally no chance that he will ever collect a penny from the Chinese government. So then you have to ask yourself, if this is not a lawsuit about trying to recover money for the taxpayers of Missouri, what is this lawsuit really about? And I think that a lot of people, it's not just me saying it, have recognized that this was an opportunity for Eric Schmidt to make a big splash, get his face on Fox News, and allow himself to talk about an issue that we all care about, but he's using taxpayer dollars to pursue something that really has literally no chance of success. And I think that our energies could be more productively spent dedicating ourselves to trying to protect our communities from the virus rather than trying to class, uh, cast blame across the sea in a lawsuit that is not going to actually result in any recovery for Missouri taxpayers. COVID-19 is probably going to be around Missouri for years. And I do think that there's going to be a lot of legal questions 
maybe within the state that the attorney general is going to have to figure out, especially when it comes to liability for nursing homes or businesses or unscrupulous PPE vendors. What role would you want to see the attorney general's office take when it comes to litigation around coronavirus? So again, I think the attorney general's job here should be fairly easy. It's not this is not a political uh, question. This is a question of what is the right thing for the people of Missouri. And when it comes to the issues you're talking about, Jason, we have to make sure that our businesses are able to open and operate, um, but that those that are not taking reasonable precautions uh, can be held liable for any sorts of violations of Missouri law. Likewise, if there are, as you say, vendors who are uh, price gouging or otherwise taking inappropriate steps with respect to the protective equipment that our uh, frontline workers so desperately need, then there may be a role for the attorney general to step in there and act as well. But I think that a lot of those questions are hard to answer today because we don't have a full vantage yet as to the impacts of this crisis and the ways in which the various responses we've made are affecting uh, any of those questions. But I can assure you that as attorney general, I will make sure that my interest is in protecting the people of Missouri and, and enforcing the law that would apply in these areas and not trying to play a political game with a public health crisis. We're recording this show on June 15th, which happens to be the same day that the U.S. Supreme Court handed down a landmark decision banning employers from firing somebody because they are gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender. And one of the reasons why it's gaining a lot of attention in Missouri is because uh, Attorney General Schmidt joined several other states in arguing against that ruling. Uh, And I'm going to read from a St. Louis Post-Dispatch article. Schmidt and his colleagues, led by Texas, Tennessee, and Nebraska, argued that federal protections for sexual orientation and gender identity did not exist in federal statute and thus couldn't be applied. A spokesman for Schmidt said on Monday today, June 15th, that in the amicus brief that we joined with other attorneys general, we made a textual argument as it relates to the original meaning of the law, and the Supreme Court has delivered their opinion. Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt believes strongly that every person should be treated with dignity under the law. Um, In addition to responding to that, if you had been attorney general, would you have joined that brief and what would how would you have operated, basically? Well, I certainly would not have joined a brief on that side of the case, because as the Supreme Court has just uh, reminded us today, in an opinion by Trump appointed Justice Neil Gorsuch, um, the duty of the Supreme Court when it looks looks at a statute is to interpret the plain meaning of the words of the statute and decide where they apply to the circumstances before them. And in this case, what Justice Gorsuch, joined by Justice Roberts and uh, four other justices held, was that the plain meaning of the words on the basis of sex in Title VII, the civil rights law that we've had in place since 1964, means that if an employer discriminates against somebody because of their sexual orientation or gender identity, they are liable for employment discrimination. And for Eric Schmidt to claim that he was the one making the textual argument is contradicted by the, ex- the very opinion of Justice Gorsuch, which is a textualist argument based upon the plain text of that statute. And it's very similar to what we talked about earlier with the Affordable Care Act. Eric Schmidt is fond of saying that he supports something as a matter of legislation, while at the same time making an argument out of the other side of his mouth in a brief for why that same exact protection should be taken away from people. So I applaud the Supreme Court's decision today. I think it is long overdue. Uh, People in Missouri and across the country have said for a long time that someone's gender identity or sexual orientation 
has nothing to do with whether or not they can do their job successfully. And I believe that employers who have discriminated on that basis should be held liable and people in those categories should have protection from the kind of discrimination. I'm glad that the Supreme Court agrees with me, despite Eric Schmidt's arguments to the contrary. Just for our listeners, I want to make clear, we are going to invite Attorney General Schmidt on the show to make his case for election later on in the year. You do have a Democratic primary. You're running against another Democrat, Alad Gross. He has garnered a lot of enthusiasm amongst the grassroots Democratic community. What's your message to Democratic voters in August about why you should be selected as the person to take on Schmidt as opposed to Gross? Well, first of all, um, Alad and I are friends. We've been friends for a long time, as I, I mentioned before. I, I've been teaching for uh, more than a decade at my alma mater of WashU Law School right here in St. Louis, and I got to know Alad when he was a student there and I was teaching, and I've uh, maintained a great relationship with him since then. I think he is a great person, a great candidate, and I think he has a great future in Missouri politics. The reason I got in this uh, race was not because I wanted to take on my friend Alad, it was I wanted to take on Eric Schmidt. And I think for the Democrats to have a opportunity to uh, take back the attorney general's office here coming up in November, we have to have somebody who is going to be uh, experienced enough to show a contrast with Eric Schmidt, um, who, before he became attorney general, had no experience as a prosecutor. Uh, he's only ever once uh, tried a criminal case, and that was uh, he played third fiddle in a, uh, a case in St. Louis City just this past uh, year is after we'd begun our criticism of his lack of experience. And I think that that provides a strong contrast with my own background. With seven years as a federal prosecutor, recovering millions of dollars for victims, I have more experience than Eric Schmidt has, even in his time as attorney general, and frankly, more experience than every other candidate for any party combined in this race. And I think when Missourians are thinking about who they want to elect as their next chief law enforcement official for the state, they're going to want to look for somebody who has the experience to get the job done and who, unlike Eric Schmidt, is committed to putting people ahead of politics. And so that's what motivated me again, the, uh, motivated me to get in the race. And that's why I think that I have the tools we need to actually take on Eric Schmidt come November. Well, Rich, thank you so much for joining our show for all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. You can follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. How could people follow you either on social media or find out more about your campaign? Well, the easiest and quickest way would be to go to our website. It's richfinneran.com. That's F-I-N-N-E-R-A-N.com. From there, you can sign up for our mailing list, uh, click the button to follow our Twitter and our Facebook to get updates about our campaign and uh, watch uh, uh, the video of my announcement of my candidacy and just learn more about what we're going to do to try to put uh, someone back in the attorney general's office who's going to put people ahead of politics. Thank you very much. Until next time, so long. <laughs>